You're listening to The Globalist, first broadcast on the 22nd of February 2024 on Monocle Radio. The Globalist, in association with UBS. Hello, good morning. Welcome to a very special edition of The Globalist. We're coming to you live from Warsaw. I'm Tyler Brule. And I'm Tom Edwards. We're broadcasting live from Pura Hotel in the centre of the Polish capital, taking the temperature of a fast-changing city and nation. Plenty, Tyler, coming up in today's programme. Indeed, with Russia's war in Ukraine entering its third year, we assess the role Poland has played in the international arena and how the lines of diplomacy have shifted to the east. Then we'll turn the focus to Warsaw's green ambitions and its plans to improve quality of life for residents as we sit down with the city's chief architect. Very good. Plus, the future of the media industry with voices from Politica Insight and Gazeta Wyborcza. A review of the day's papers. Um, probably talking a little bit about hospitality as well. All that and more ahead on this special edition of the programme, coming to you live from Warsaw here on Monocle Radio. Good morning, this is The Globalist. We are indeed live in Warsaw. This is the premiere edition that we've taken the programme to this part of the world. Tom Edwards is beside me, Andrew Tuck uh, is also here as well. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Morning, Tyler. Uh, I guess uh, first impressions, this is also your first time in the city as well. Exactly. My first visit, um, amazing experience so far. Lots of great hospitality, uh, incredible generosity of spirit everywhere, and some good uh, pierogi situation as well. No, hold on. Well, maybe you've already had a pierogi situation, which we can discuss later, but at dinner last night, there were no pierogies, which I thought was really amazing that you could be at a restaurant at eight o'clock in the evening, and they were already sold out. But anyway, that we can fix that later today. Andrew Tucker, editor-in-chief, is here this morning. Andrew, you had a, one of those odd phone alerts that said it's been... Five? No, six, five years. Yeah, exactly. Uh, th- this day, 2018, uh, my photos tell me I, w- I was here in Warsaw. So uh, a, a second visit for me. Um, but really so much of the city has changed even in that time. And there's so much happening here that we're really excited to see some of the urban interventions that have happened, some of the, the changes that are happening here in the city. So, Andrew, you touched down uh, you know, a little bit on, let's say, the, the later side of things. Hard to sort of put you on the spot right away. But even a- across six years... Any sort of thoughts and impressions yet, or you hope to unpack that this afternoon? Well, it's, it's, it's hard to do because we don't know lots of these places and how gradually they're changing. But what struck us yesterday when I wandered around with Sophie was the robustness of retail here. So when we come from a, a UK market where every street is full of chain stores and, and the same brands... We wandered around several neighbourhoods yesterday where uh, Sophie, who edits Confect magazine for us, of course, uh, we, we were struck by the number of independent fashion brands here, the number of design brands. Uh, she managed to make a few purchases, even purchased a fragrance, which is based on the city of Gdansk, which uh, she was sharing with last night. She was very excited about that. I know. We, we, we actually sort of analysed that fragrance. We felt it didn't feel very Gdansk, though. It sort of felt like it came on a container from maybe the Middle East. Uh, well, it felt a bit more... Vanilla, I don't mean in bland, but it felt a little bit tropical. But anyway, hints that maybe Gdansk is a bit sunnier in the summer. 
Tom, uh, impressions on your side, and also, yeah, what you're expecting, because we haven't sort of set the stage as to why we're here as well. Well, I think that's right. I mean, it, there was a feeling looking in from without that it's a real inflection point, I think, for, for Poland, a super exciting market in terms of how it's uh, restating and underscoring its democratic values. I think it's an exciting media landscape, which we're going to talk about with uh, friends from, from Gazeta and others uh, later. There's a very almost tangible sense of opportunity and whether that is in the real estate space uh, media landscape as andrew said in in retail it is almost palpable as you as you stroll around from as soon as you uh, arrive so i'm interested to hear from some of our guests about how that's going to manifest itself and interestingly tyler maybe i'll bounce the question back to you you know what does this kind of market mean for for a brand like monocle you know we're curious we're optimistic we're looking for opportunities feels like there's Maybe a big one here. Yeah, I hope there's there's a few opportunities. I just came uh, from from Portugal last night. We've been talking a little bit about sort of the the the, the extreme P nations uh, at opposite ends <laughs> of Europe, uh, and we were actually sort of trying to make some links as well. We did establish at least you know one strong link. The biggest grocery store player uh, in, in this country is actually uh, Portuguese owned. We also spotted a, a Portuguese bank or two on the way over, but it's not just that. I mean, Andrew, in this issue as well, we've got a, a really an exceptional story about the wood industry. We're interested in countries that make things. We should also say that a lot of the paper that we use in our books and our magazines uh, comes from one of the major uh, paper players uh, based here in, uh, in Poland as well. Well, it's interesting because Poland has developed... Uh over the last few years, a, a kind of a back office role for all sorts of things. So for banking, for manufacturing of furniture. So IKEA, for example, manufactures lots of things here. But there's also an inflection point there that as we go to furniture fairs, we see many Polish brands, proud to be Polish, selling their wares, promoting themselves. And again, it's a funny, it's, a, it's an interesting moment. We had lots of conversations yesterday where people made it clear to us the, the complexities of the last eight years and that this is a, a moment of change. But maybe as outsiders, we even see some sunnier things than if you've been going through a, a, a twist and turn of the last eight years. Yeah, we'll hope the sun comes out today. It's uh, just heading up to 8.06 uh, here in uh, Warsaw. 7.06 uh, back in London, where our Emma Nelson is there with the news headlines. Emma. Thank you very much indeed, Tyler. Israel has intensified strikes on Rafa in the south of Gaza. There are reports of more than a dozen members of a single family being killed. Poland could receive the first tranche of more than 60 billion euros in EU loans and grants as early as next week, in what's being seen as a major vote of confidence in the new government's ability to mend ties with Brussels. The delivery of the money was blocked over concerns by the EU about abuse of the rule of law by Poland's previous administration. The head of Boeing's 737 MAX programme has left the aircraft manufacturer. Ed Clark is the first senior figure to leave since part of a new Alaska Airlines aircraft dropped off mid-flight last month. The budget airline Ryanair has said that Poland should scrap plans to spend billions on a huge hub airport in the centre of the country and instead invest the money on smaller regional airports. The new government's re-examining plans for the so-called Solidarity Transport Hub, a huge airport with high-speed rail connections around the country. New documents show President Joe Biden's dog, Commander, bit U.S. Secret Service agents on at least 24 occasions. Agents were bitten on the wrist, forearm, elbow, waist, chest, thigh and shoulder. The documents only cover the Secret Service and don't cover incidents involving other staff members of the Biden administration. And those are the headlines. Back to you, Tyler, in Warsaw. Thank you uh, for that. Uh, it says, of course, staff members. We also sort of like don't really explore probably how many just general guests were bitten by this uh, by commander of the dog either. There was an official um, guidance given out, which is to give the dog a lot of room. 
I think that was what was the, 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 the implications. But the fact that only 24... The fact that the Secret Service agents got bitten on the shoulder suggests that were you perhaps slightly less physically prepared, you might have ended up worse. But yes, there is a suggestion that, that the dog was quite lively. Uh, Emma, just one question. Are, uh, are you feeling a little bit uh, jealous of the fact that we have uh, a middle European uh, buffet not far from here? My goodness. I mean, you mentioned pierogi in the, pers- in the first three minutes of the programme, so obviously I'm devastated. I'm also very jealous that, um, that, that Warsaw is such a good city. I haven't been there since, gosh, more than 30 years ago, just when it was emerging from communism and it was finding its feet, and it was rebuilding then, and I don't think I've ever been to a, a country which rebuilds itself so brilliantly. It comes out of the war, it rebuilds itself. Warsaw, completely rebuilt. If you go to the modern quarter, you will see bricks in the buildings there that were used from the former death ghetto district. It's a country which looks backwards and it's a country which knows how to take the best bits of the past and put it into something which really builds something positive. Emma, future. more from you uh, in 22 minutes time. I just gone 808 uh, here uh, in Warsaw. You're with me, Tyler Brule. Also, Tom Edwards, you're listening to The Globalist here on Monocle Radio. Uh, Now, it's been uh, more than two years since Russia launched its invasion and subsequent war in Ukraine. Little end in sight to the conflict. The wars impacted all of Europe, uh, redefined the axis of diplomacy. And of course, on the doorstep uh, is Poland, which has hosted scores of Ukrainian refugees fleeing the violence. Um, Accidental, inverted commas, incursions into its airspace by Russian aircraft. Um, But it's also been a kind of launch point for many world leaders who ventured uh, into Kiev uh, since February 2022, Tyler. Indeed. And uh, to I guess, unpack part of this, I'm very happy to say that uh, Michal Bernofsky is joining us here from the German Marshall Fund East. Uh, good morning, Michal. Michal. Good morning. It's great to be with you in person. I know, in person, uh, not across uh, lines, uh, spanning uh, countries across Europe. Um, As we said at the top of the program, obviously, Tom, just leading into this uh, as well, we are uh, on, of course, the eve of, uh, of, of course, of of a significant anniversary. Mm. Um, And I think we're very keen to understand from from a Polish uh, perspective, how how is this marked two years in? uh, I think, how does this feel economically, of course, geopolitically? Look, this war is close, right? We are meeting in Warsaw, which is just about 300 kilometers from the border with Ukraine. A few hundred kilometers beyond that is a front line. So the war is close. Uh, the mood in the globe, you know, in the European, but also Polish strategic community is pretty gloom um, because of the, um, you know, inaction in Congress, because of the Ukrainians running out of ammunition, perhaps a little bit more gloomy than it should be. Uh, At the same time, there is defiance uh, in Warsaw, uh, both in the new government, Prime Minister Tusk, Minister Sikorsky. Uh, uh, Poland is stepping up its role, but also is pushing the rest of Europe to step up its role in defending uh, uh, us all in Ukraine. Well, let me ask you a bit about that and the opportunity, I guess, for diplomatic expression, for some diplomatic smarts. Is there, despite the the terrible, you know, the conflict which continues to rumble on, an opportunity here to restate some of those values, to express a bit of soft power, diplomatic smarts. Is, is there an opportunity, do you think, for Poland to leverage the proximity you described, Michal, to light a, a, a brighter path forward? Uh, absolutely. Uh, this is what the new government is trying to do in partnership. So one of the key issues for the new government is to return to the heart of Europe mm. and bringing then the heart of Europe to the eastern flank, so to say, making sure that our partners in France, in Germany, 
step up their um, support for, for Ukraine, while also pushing Americans not to uh, let up. Uh, uh, the Prime Minister Tusk is going to travel to to D.C. on March 12th. So the opportunities are there. The challenges are very significant, especially in the short term. In the long term, we'll be fine. But to get to a long term, we need to get through the short term. You talked about the, the engagement, uh, of course, uh, when we move further west from Warsaw. Do we see now a real arc between Paris to Berlin and, and Warsaw, that this, that this really becomes the, the dream team, if you were? That's the ambition. That's the aim. We are at the beginning of this because the last eight years have been really uh, challenging where Poland, Poland's relations, especially with Germany, but also with Paris, have been very strained. So Poland is coming back to that but also not alone. I, I would emphasize that Poland has reached out to the Baltic states, to Sweden, Prime Minister just visited, to Finland, to really b- bring the heft of the Northeastern Europe together to this, to this European dream team, as you, as you said. Uh, talk to me a little bit about uh, defence spending. It's, yeah. it's often a, a vexing issue. What's the discourse around that in Warsaw, across Poland? Is there a general ease about making much more significant investments, growing standing army and so forth. Is that, is that a, a difficult narrative to sell to the public or has it become a lot easier in the last 24 months? Look, Poland is spending 4% of our GDP on defence. That's more than anyone else in the alliance, more than Americans, more than Brits uh, and, and many others. Uh, no, there is a consensus because of the threat from uh, um, aggressive Russia. The new team is looking at the details of the contracts that have been signed, but there is no appetite to cut it down, perhaps reprioritize a little bit. But yeah, Poland is going to have the largest standing land army in in Europe. And uh, we need this, and hopefully we'll have this in time for before Russia reconstitutes its forces as well. Just on that, we were touching on the topic of, of building a, a standing force. Talk, of course, is around 300,000. Uh, that's still a big step up. We're, st- we're talking about 100,000 mm-hmm. uh, more troops uh, in, in boots. Uh, it comes, with, of course, with a, a significant uh, price tag attached to it uh, as well. And we know that countries all over the world are, are looking, of course, to uh, expand their navies, their armies, their air forces. You have to, of course, uh, mobilize uh, people to sign up uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, discussion about conscription uh, or just very fancy advertising campaigns uh, to compel people uh, to, to join? So discussion about the conscription happens only behind closed doors. Uh, this is not a closed door meeting, so I'm not going to you know, scare anyone, but this is, this is not happening in the, in the public space at the moment. Poland does not have alternative. We know what happens when you are not prepared to defend your country. We have better alliances. We are in NATO. We are in European Union. But we remember very well what happened in 1939 when we were not prepared. So that's, and that's the scale of the challenge that we also very clearly understand is a long-term challenge. It's not something that will disappear in a year, two, or three. Uh, Mia, it's amazing to talk to you. We just scratched the surface. I could talk to you all day, but we'll, we'll leave it there. Maybe we'll pick this up in a, in a future programme. Uh, Mihal Baranowski, uh, Managing Director of the German Marshall Fund East. Thanks for joining us here on The Globalist. UBS has over 900 investment analysts from over 100 different countries. Over 900 of the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in the world of finance today. To find out how we could help you, 
Contact us at UBS.com. You are back with The Globalist here on Monocle. With me, Tyler Brule, Tom Edwards, uh, 8.15, coming up to 8.16, uh, here in an almost then coming out to uh, Warsaw this morning. Yeah, that'll be 7.16 in London. It is a special edition of the programme in the Polish capital. And we're going to focus on the city, where we're sitting, Tyler, next. Warsaw's been ongoing, uh, ambitious urban transformation project, uh, not only to make it more sustainable, more resilient, um, but also one that puts quality of life at the, the top of the agenda. And we're going to talk a little bit about that now with our next guest. Uh, Marlena Hapach is the chief architect of the city of Warsaw. Good morning, Marlena. Good morning. Um, now tell me, quality of life, something we talk about a lot at Monocle, sometimes a nebulous concept to incorporate into p- big strategic plans. How do you go about doing it? It sounds like a, di- it sounds like a difficult job. Uh, yeah, I have to say that we uh, changed uh, completely our perspective in, uh, in Warsaw. About uh, eight years ago, we are perceiving our city especially as a space for business, for tourism. Uh, so we are thinking about huge projects as museums, uh, bridges, uh, and so on. But then we changed the perspective and we think that this is the city especially for us, for the citizens. Mm. So we are thinking more about our quality of life, about uh, how to get a job, how to uh, spend the time in parks uh, uh, after work and so on. So we invest a lot about it and um, I think you know the the most popular space uh, near the river, Vistula River. Uh, so we really uh, change a lot the banks of the river and what is interesting, we have t- two characters of the banks. The, the, the left one is really very cultural one, let's say, uh, but the, 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 the right one is completely wild and you can spend the time in the greenery uh, almost like not in the city. Tell us how much of, of your planning is focused on what is the built environment, these you know, grand projects uh, that of course are on the horizon that are also going up all around us versus uh, let's say softer programs because it was interesting uh, last night we were talking to some guests at dinner and they said that Warsaw is not a, a late city like it used to be. They said you used to be able to go to restaurants much later. They said the city closes down a little bit earlier than it might have done before. And I'm wondering, is that also part of what you look at? You know, you know whether you want to be a 24-hour city, do you want to be an 18-hour-a-day city um, as well? So how much of, of your planning is also looking at, you could say, the softer elements, the less tangible elements as well? Um Probably you notice that we are the city of two seasons and it's completely different time in winter and autumn and uh, in summer. So in summer we spend a lot of time in the, during the evenings, uh, even we have a lot of problems uh, because the people want to play and be loud uh, and the other <laughs> want to sleep. Uh, but uh, I think you, you, you notice something very interesting because... Um, uh, we, we really uh, are changing our, um, 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 how to say that, our, what we are doing uh, um, uh, according to the season, but also I think that we, uh, we change a lot um, our situation um, after the war on Ukraine, because many, many refugees come and uh, they spend a lot of time in our public spaces and it's changed a lot. So, um, we are more encouraging to spend the time uh, during um, summertime, but at the same time, the people, I think, are a little bit afraid to be 
uh, in the space with so many people. So mm. maybe that is the reason. And tell me a little bit about long-termism, Molina, because obviously some of the big challenges, we talk about mass transit projects uh, or just housing. There's long been this pressure. There's just not enough housing stock. It's not affordable enough. But those are things you can devise good plans to address. But I guess it, it, it requires an almost a generational change in, in attitude. Do you feel you are able to plan on that time horizon? Can you get investment from other stakeholders to ensure the fixes that you're talking about are, yeah, not five, ten, they're kind of 20 years, they're generational fixes. Actually, this is very difficult because we are trying to make the general plan from the, uh, from, uh, for the city. Uh, we started five years ago and then uh, uh, the COVID happened and then uh, the war uh, in Ukraine. So uh, we uh, started and then on the final, we, we were in a completely different situation. Uh, on the beginning, we were expecting about uh, two, uh, 2050, uh, 2050 uh, new coming people to Warsaw, but then uh, f- um, 500,000 refugees come to our city, so double... Uh, so 250,000 yeah, to half a million. thank you, thank you. <laughs> yeah, we were doing some you. math here, but... <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, so uh, we are expecting uh, uh, this mass of people in 2050, and then in two years it happened, so mm. it's changing so, so, so quickly. Uh, but we are still trying uh, not only to react for situation, but to plan the situation. Uh, and we have the problem also about uh, spreading out the city. So we want to concern the urbanization because of the costs, the roads, mm. the schools, the, um, the services are really, really very expect, ex, uh, expensive. And, uh, and on the other hand, we have a lot of uh, really valuable terrain uh, in Warsaw, which we want to preserve because of its um, uh, um, uh, function for our climate, for, uh, um, um, for our air, fresh air, and so, and so on. So uh, we are discussing the space of urbanization, and we really had a... St- strong and very difficult discussion uh, before the holidays, I think, and during the holidays. And uh, um, it was like a big pro- uh, protest that we want to cut the urbanization on some line. Uh, and the people wanted to uh, uh, make the new buildings uh, everywhere. So uh, it is difficult and we have to really discuss it. And it's also the problem because of all the plans. And when the, now when we are changing the plans, we have to uh, you have to pay uh, mm. because uh, the people were buying the land, for example, thinking about the investments. Marlene, just before we go, um, if you think about all of the projects that are on uh, the horizon, what are you most excited about? What, if you could you know, tell our listeners about uh, one major initiative, aside from the, the river project, uh, what's the most dynamic and exciting one on the horizon for you? Uh, I think that we have some um, flagship project of our mayor, uh, Rafał Trzaskowski. This is the new center uh, project. So we are trying to invite the people uh, to the center of the city again uh, because, because it was quite um, 
empty and maybe a little bit forgotten during last years. So we are really trying to, uh, to change our streets and public spaces. So we are working on the Chmielna Street, which is uh, next to us, uh, on Marszałkowska Street, which is the main city uh, road, I think. Uh, we are, um, now we are continuing the, the construction of the Museum of New Art, of Modern Art, uh, next to the Palace of Culture, and the new square there, because this is a huge square, I think the, maybe the biggest one in Europe, which is completely covered with the parking. Spaces. <laughs> uh, so we are trying to change it and to connect this because we have, uh, I think that we have some kind of islands in the world. So nice spaces, but not connected. Uh, well, look, we encourage people to come and see for themselves because the progress already has been uh, remarkable and so many exciting projects. We're certainly going to be keeping a very close eye on those. Uh, Malena Havach, Chief Architect of the City of Warsaw, thanks very much for joining us on the programme. still with the globalist here on Monocle with me Tyler Berlay and Tom Edwards just taking towards 25 minutes past the hour Tyler just keeping you I know. On the clock. Exactly. And, and, and we have much to get through because I'm very happy to say uh, that Matthias Menzini is uh, here uh, from the Gazette of Borsha, Of course, one of the newspapers of record, probably not just in Poland, but uh, certainly in this stretch uh, of the world as well. Very nice to see you. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, where do we want to say? Tom, look at that gentleman's notebook right here. I mean, I don't, he has like written in red pen. I'm not sure what I think about that, but there are a <laughs> lot of, there's a lot of notes. There's a lot to get through. I'm not sure if we're going to do it in roughly six minutes. Well, I was going to say, we definitely definitely don't have time to get through everything that Matthias could inform and educate us on. I know this, and people will probably recognise his voice already from our programming. Um, but Matthias, we've got to start somewhere. Where are you going to jump in for us? Well, we're picking up where we left with uh, Michal Baranowski as we were approaching the second anniversary of the full-scale invasion um, of Ukraine. Papers in Poland, heavy on geopolitics, heavy on defence, heavy on the war um, topics. And I think What's worth mentioning and picking up on what you were discussing, uh, the new edition of Tygodnik Powszechny, which is one of uh, Poland's major weeklies, tackles the issue of conscription and actually addresses the fact that whilst Poland is spending heavily on armaments and we're going to become, or we're aspiring to become a superpower in terms of tanks, aircraft and equipment, there might be not enough people to operate them. And uh, Michał Bajnowski was uh, shy not to discuss the issues of conscription, but we actually do have the numbers from Tygodnik. So 41% of Poles are categorically opposed to the idea of mass conscription, whilst 44% are in favour of increased uh, defence uh, spending. And the article in Tygodnik Proszechny is actually rather critical because uh, it points out to the fact that we here in Poland are missing a strong link between a resilient society and a very professional army. Poland aspires to have 300,000 uh, 300, um strong uh, military by the end of the decade, which means that it would have to be recruiting at a pace of 11,000 new members annually. It's nowhere near that level, I can tell you that. Uh, and there's lack of civil defense, there's lack of training, there's lack of awareness of shelters. And uh, Tygodnik Proszechny actually seems to be of the opinion that apart from the fact that we need to invest in uh, technology, we also need to invest in civic training. 
Then we move to another quite representative cover, another weekly Politica, which has this very uh, fierce picture. I recognize of, that guy. Of uh, Donald <laughs> Trump. Uh, and it begins with uh, um, an article from Piotr Boris, the head of uh, Warsaw Office of uh, ECFR, the European Council of Foreign uh, Relations, who writes about a call for arms for the rest of Europe. Because uh, Boris points out, we are finding ourselves in a sort of paradoxical moment. On the one hand, there's a growing Ukraine fatigue and Uh, Ukrainians are obviously running out of shells, running out of uh, bullets. But on the other hand, it seems to be the case that there's a growing awareness of the fact that a threat from a potential invasion uh, from Russia into NATO territory or EU territory is actually more likely and more imminent to the point to which uh, we have people like uh, the Estonian Prime Minister Kaya Kala saying it shouldn't be the question of if it should be the question of when. And um, there are some, some staggering numbers here um, quoted by Politica in terms of increase in defense spending. So between 1999 and 2021, so 1999 all the way to the year before the, uh, before the full-scale invasion, EU countries jointly only increased their defense spending by 19.7%. In comparison, Russia increased their spending by 292%, China 592%. That gives you the perspective of where we are here on this continent. And there's a massive call for new leadership, new political narratives to change the mood in Europe. And where could that leadership possibly come from? I think Gazette of Borcha has an answer, an interesting one, uh, in an editorial by Bartosz Wilinski, deputy uh, editor-in-chief, uh, who argues that Radosław Sikorski, the, the old and new, um, again, uh, foreign minister of Poland, should not actually um, aspire to become uh, the first EU defense commissioner. There's obviously rumors of that post being established after the June European um, Parliament elections, and Wilinski actually argues he shouldn't try to uh, fulfill his ambitions of the big Brussels job, because uh, European commissioners are hardly ever that influential. And he's a star politician with a lot of gravity, a lot of recognition in Europe, uh, and as such, as a uh, European Defence Commissioner, he would have very, very little influence over the general strategy because the EU Defence Commissioner is rumored to be um, a position of oversight, of control over joint spending, um, of armaments, rather than actually deciding on the strategy. And Wielinski um, seems to be of the opinion that he could do more good remaining here in Warsaw. Tom, should we just uh, give him one more story uh, well, out, yeah, of his, out of his own newspaper? Grab, you, grab today's edition Yeah, we should. We should uh, yeah. Yeah. Is, is there, is there yeah. anything else uh, front page that we should uh, grab from you before we head back to London for the news? Well, Gazette um, Roach is, as I said, heavy on um, Ukrainian coverage, and uh, we do have an interview. And, and bar graphs on the front cover of this morning. And bar graphs. Say, and well. bar graphs. What are, the, what are those bar graphs telling you? Uh, it's uh, the opinion poll from uh, ECFR uh, that actually describes the attitudes towards Ukraine and Ukrainian Ukrainian refugees' presence in Europe uh, and shows some, some very alarming numbers that only 10% of Europeans on average believe that Ukrainians can still win uh, the war against Russia. Polls are well above average, but the numbers are still not looking great. It's 17% of Poles who believe Ukrainians can win, and 50% of Poles, the highest number among those countries polled. Matthias, um, just on that point, it's interesting. That is, it does paint a rather gloomy picture of people's estimations of the direction of travel. But again, just on the ground here, talking to people, it seems like there's generally a more optimistic attitude about the future, maybe not in this specific com combat zone. Um, do you think that that tells us the whole picture, that, that polling? I think partially, because uh, the, the survey is actually accompanied by a commentary by Mark Leonard, uh, the head of ECFR, who writes, most Europeans 
are desperate to see Ukrainians winning, but they just don't believe that the current political leadership in Europe can deliver that result. And I think this is the essence uh, of the story here, that we need a new narrative, we need new political leadership, because there is some degree of optimism still, but whether that will translate into very concrete results on the battlefield, that remains to be seen. Mateusz uh, Massini from Gazette de Borsha, thank you very much. Uh, you are listening uh, to The Globalist. Uh, we're live uh, in Warsaw. It's uh, just gone... 8.31 and 30 seconds uh, here in Warsaw. Time to head back to London. Emma Nelson is there with the news headlines. Thank you very much indeed, Tyler. Israel has intensified strikes on Rafa in the south of Gaza. Meanwhile, the Turkish foreign minister has called on the international community to take more active roles towards an urgent ceasefire in Gaza and a two-state solution to the conflict. Poland could receive the first tranche of more than 60 billion euros in EU loans and grants as early as next week. It's being seen as a major vote of confidence in the new government's ability to mend ties with Brussels. The Czech government is in talks with Germany to receive 15 leopard tanks as a thank you for Czech military support for Ukraine. The country may buy a further 15 from the German defence industry. The head of Boeing 737 MAX programme has left the aircraft manufacturer. Ed Clark is the first senior figure to leave since part of a new Alaska Airlines aircraft dropped off mid-flight last month. And the budget airline Ryanair has said Poland should scrap plans to spend billions on a huge hub airport in the centre of the country and invest the money in regional airports instead. The new government's re-examining plans for the so-called Solidarity Transport Hub, a huge airport with high-speed rail connections around the country. And those are the headlines. Back to you, Tyler, in Warsaw. Thanks very much, Emma. Um, really a talking point, actually, over dinner last night about this new airport, whether there should be this desire to build a super hub. Of course, the plan of the, the past government, uh, very much under review at the moment. I have to say I'm voting for the was last I was 15 minutes. Uh, we love a 15 minute drive from an airport uh, yeah, to get to your hotel in the city centre. Uh, I, I know, Emma, I think you'd probably agree with that one as well. Absolutely, um, because you get that sense that you can be in the centre of centre of the action incredibly quickly. Um, the trouble is, is that when you're trying to build such a huge hub, then you then there's going to be so many vested interests, and there've been concerns raised already about this so-called uh, solidarity transport hub that. Again, it's over budget. It's taking a long time. It's the sort of same story played out time and time again, isn't it? It is. Emma, we're going to be talking to you uh, this coming Sunday uh, because, of course, uh, we will be doing a monocle on Sunday coming to you from Samaritz, uh, from the Nomad Art Fair. Uh, but we'll uh, be staying on the topic of, of other art fairs and also the gallery scene right now, Tom. Oh, absolutely. Because if we talk about soft power, what are some of the expressions of it? Certainly transport connections, but the cultural institutions are, are critical. Um, and this is a city with an art scene that's relatively young compared to some of the more established European uh, counterparts, but it, it more than pulls its weight. Um, amazing galleries, festivals, um, and I think Warsaw bridges the gap between the historical and the contemporary in a super interesting way. And we'll talk a little bit about that now with our next guest, uh, Gunja Novik, who's the founder of a contemporary space here in the city uh, and uh, also involved in founding the Warsaw Art Fair, I understand. Um, Tell me about the space, Gunya, and the way that it merges, you know, traditional with contemporary. I guess that's inevitable because of the recent history of the city, but it, it introduces a really exciting dynamic to the to the art scene, correct? Yeah, there's an amazing ex um, dynamic in Warsaw, and that's why you can also see it through all these events happening uh, through all year. I can maybe quickly tell you what's happening, so... Um, and there are a lot, uh, a lot of galleries, new galleries, project spaces. Uh, of course, they're most established here, like Foxhall Gallery Foundation. 
uh, I don't know, maybe more than 20 years. And But uh, my gallery is uh, almost three years old, so you can see how, how you can place it. Like there are older yeah. galleries and younger galleries. Um, so basically, when you look at the calendar, um, in uh, April, we have this very um, known international kind of uh, gallery sharing initiative, uh, which is changing names since uh, it was established here, but still it's the same idea like Kondo, probably know that, you know that. So basically the galleries from Warsaw are inviting the galleries from abroad uh, to host them here, to make this kind of exchange between the artists they are representing and uh, the artists from other galleries, from, I don't know, London, Berlin, and and uh, Paris, uh, from all over, maybe New York even. Um, so uh, I think this is an amazing opportunity to exchange contact, international contacts. Of course, you meet those uh, artists in international fa festivals all over the world and also the galleries in the art fairs. And bringing them to Warsaw, it's quite amazing because uh, everybody living uh, here, uh, everybody who are coming here and living there, for some reason, very excited about this place uh, because there's uh, really something new, something fresh. Mm. I'm also, I don't know if uh, you know that, but I'm also living between Berlin and Warsaw. So I have this comparison and uh, everybody's saying maybe Warsaw is this new Berlin. I think it's a little bit different specific. It's less international. That's why we want to bring people from abroad here. Uh, so this is happening on the first uh, weekend of April. Um, then, uh, Surprisingly, we also host this year uh, NADA here in Warsaw at the Villa. So um, international galleries are going to discover Warsaw and the scene in May. Um, then, oh, of course, all the art for stars, like the season, like we probably meet in Basel and so on. And then um, the calendar, um, art scene calendar in Warsaw is marked by this hotel, Warszawa Art Fair that you mentioned, and I'm one of the founders, and actually this idea comes from US. Uh, there is this uh, Felix Hartford in LA, you probably know as well, and, but this is not a new idea. No, I didn't inv we didn't invent that. We just brought it to Warsaw for some reason because we thought that... Uh, a reinvention. This, a reinvention, yeah, perhaps. Re yeah. Yeah, exactly, because um, uh, it was, uh, the idea comes from the 90s in, in New York, Gramercy Hotel. And then uh, it, for some reason, works because you uh, have these uh, spaces, like rooms, hotel rooms, uh, so you can discover galleries. So we, we decided to bring it to this idea to Warsaw and it's completely worked out. Uh, first edition was uh, entirely Polish. Uh, Polish galleries were invited. Last year we invited the gallery from Brussels and Zurich, uh, the gallery from Berlin and from Lithuania, um, from Vilnius. Um, this year we are uh, thinking about the third edition it always has to be special. Uh, but we decided to open uh, open another entire uh, entire uh, floor of the hotel. So mm. it started with one floor, and now we are expanding. So it's also a sign that something's going on here. It's amazing, and it's so it's so interesting to bring to bear that knowledge, that perspective from Berlin. But also, you studied in Switzerland. I think I'm yes. right in saying so. <laughs> Tyler, you know about this. Having the advantage of having a foot in these different camps gives you a 
a, a super useful perspective, whether it's in the cultural realm or in the media space. It's interesting, isn't it? It is. And also, you, you touch on Switzerland, uh, of course, the, the power of, of Zush and what, of course, has happened. Uh, you know, probably one of the wealthiest women, uh, women in the country, uh, what she's done in terms of developing not just a gallery space, but an entire village, uh, you could say, uh, and what, what this has marked. And I'm wondering, you know, let's say having a beacon like that in Switzerland, uh, you know, what that has also meant in terms of just sort of giving a bit of fire to the scene back home. Um, I'm wondering how that's yeah, been observed. Of course, you know, Grażyna Kurczuk, she, she wanted to open this uh, museum in Poland. For some reason, it didn't work out. But I think um, uh, the other collectors, uh, when they uh, kind of follow this idea. Now, I, I just uh, saw last week uh, a female collector was ready to share her collection on the website. She just started to kind of make it public. So I think the this collector are uh, seen, not only galleries, but uh, we are growing together. And there is this uh, uh, amazing group of collectors in Poland which are very... Um, um, brave now to to share these cole- collections with others, and uh, and that's why this hotel uh, Warszawa Art Fair makes sense because it was uh, the the public was ready to to discover that. But I didn't finish the calendar. The uh, the last uh, <laughs> thing which is happening. John between, Marcus. Uh, <laughs> no, just this is the last thing I think. Um, this is the in the, uh, between uh, the last weekend of September, beginning of October is of course Warsaw Gala Week, and this idea which was you know invented in Berlin and then uh, spread all over and we also have I think uh, I, I can't remember 15th edition but it's kind of uh, quite a long time of uh, more so guy weekend which is also very important uh, in our calendars here I like it there's important dates in the spring and in the autumn yeah, yeah, yeah. the whole year is taken care of <laughs> can you just tell us mark our cards what about some specific artists maybe with whom you've struck up uh, recent working relationships mm-hmm. who's the next Tom, you want to be more gritty. Who's, who's Tom, Tom is asking who should he be investing in. That's what he wants. <laughs> oh, I don't like to talk about investment because it's investment anyway. Exactly. And it's investing in my, you. My emotional investment. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, you know, when I think about my program, because I can speak from my perspective, maybe it's the best, the best because, I, as I mentioned, I'm between Warsaw and Berlin, but uh, we are also looking at um, Ukraine. And I know that you talked about it. And, for example, I, last year I started to represent um, the artist from Kiev, uh, Sanna Shakhmura Dovotańska, who is actually going to be at the Sydney Biennial in a month, uh, so in, in March. So, so basically it's quite uh, amazing that we started to look uh, more east uh, from, mm. from this perspective. So when I think about my gallery, but not only my gallery, because other galleries in Warsaw, they're very interested in Belarusian artists as well, Ukrainian. So maybe this is an interesting point uh, that we are kind of bridging. I'm also adding a Berlin, Warsaw, and a Kiev, which is kind of interesting to, mm. to, uh, to add to the program. Of course, I'm also representing the Berlin based artists because uh, this is uh, an interesting perspective to, to bring it to Warsaw. Gunjanovic uh, from Gunjanovic uh, Gallery, also uh, one of the founders of the Warsaw Art Fair. We're going to have to leave it uh, there. Uh, you are listening to The Globalist. UBS is a global financial services firm with over 150 years of heritage. Built on the unique dedication of our people, we bring fresh thinking and perspective to our work. We know that it takes a marriage of intelligence and heart to create lasting value for our clients. It's about having the right ideas, of course, but also about having one of the most accomplished systems 
and an unrivaled network of global experts. That's why at UBS, we pride ourselves on thinking smarter to make a real difference. Tune in to The Bulletin with UBS every week for the latest insights and opinions from UBS all around the world. And you are still with the Globalist here on Monocle with me, Tyler Burley, also Tom Edwards. Tom, we're actually keeping it to time. I mean, it's 8.42. We're Tyler, we've been, doing, we've been doing this for a while. We, we, we have. This doing. is not our first uh, rodeo, not uh, in this city or, or elsewhere. Um, Tom, just very quickly, we had, uh, it was interesting a little bit earlier talking to Mateusz, uh, looking at, of course, uh, the, the Polish uh, media space as well. I was, of course, one of the first things I do when I land in a city is I go straight to the newsstand. So I ran to Relay as soon as I got off the plane last night. Uh, I think still, you know, a healthy looking stretch of, of titles uh, in this country. Uh, we had sort of a very active uh, conversation around media last night. I'm very happy to say that uh, Andre Brzezinski is here with us uh, from Politica Insight. Uh, good morning. Very nice to see you. Uh, and it's, it feels like we sort of had a pre-interview last night uh, o- over dinner uh, to, to some extent. Maybe just set the landscape. Of course, we've come off uh, the back of a, a very significant election. I'm very keen to hear the role, uh, I think, you know, in terms of talking about, let's say, traditional print media, looking at also uh, one of your peers here, uh, Gazette Viborsha, in front of us as well. Just maybe give us a little primer uh, for our listeners uh, who are all over the world uh, this morning, this evening, wherever they may be. What is the Polish media scene like, but who are the major players uh, at the moment? In terms of when we talk, we've heard about public opinion a lot this morning. Who moves the meter? I think the, the Polish media scene is changing, as, as probably most media scenes around the world are changing, and it's changing pretty fast. I mean, um, print media is is quite obviously um, losing ground. Um, mainly, there's um, a number of internet portals that are uh, have taken over and are buying up most of the uh, premium journalists, I'd say. And still a lot of people are watching television, actually. I mean, there's this preconception that television is... is, is going away but here in Poland I feel that still uh, it's television that's uh, that's really running the show well we're talking on the radio we still believe quite you know enthusiastically that linear media whatever you want to call it uh, still has a pretty important role to play um, Andre I must ask you about press freedom some of the fundamentals um, this has been a narrative we've touched upon with some of our friends we've been talking to over the last couple of days obviously an incredibly complex what eight ten years we're coming out of What's the state of play in that regard? Do you feel you can now operate again with total freedom? There's not that sort of fear factor. You're not in this opposition with the administration who's trying to restrict and set the, the discourse. Are we, are we out of the other side or does it take a bit longer to, to untangle some of those complexities? We're definitely out of the other side. I, I don't think actually the, the, the Poland's biggest problem and, and the problem the media scene over the last eight years when law and justice was in power, I don't think it was press freedom as such. It was the amount and scale of propaganda that was being... Uh, thrown our way by especially state media. And the other thing that was happening was basically that all the state-owned companies who were the biggest, or some of the biggest advertisers, started only 
uh, placing their ads in the media, the, the magazines, the, the televisions of uh, the right wing and the extreme right wing um, sort of media media enterprises. So that's what was happening. At the end of the day, I, I know you, you guys spoke to people at Gazeta Vyborcha. I think this, was a, this wasn't a really bad moment for Gazeta Vyborcha. I mean, the, the, the advertising um, problem hit them hard. And this was obviously a, a question of money. But on the other hand, I think readership, I, did, I don't know if it went up, but I think uh, basically a lot of people um, went back to Gazeta Vyborcha because it became a sort of a beacon of hope, freedom, whatever you, you want to call it. So in that sense, we didn't really see uh, newspapers being closed. We didn't see journalists being put in jail. What we did see was a shift in basically uh, access to information, access to advertisers' money, etc., etc. So this isn't Hungary. I mean, in Hungary, the, the government basically bought up pretty much everything that was there to buy up. Uh, also, through, by, by means of a number of oligarchs who are working with Orban and are still working with Orban. That didn't happen here, and I think that was one of, probably one of the biggest mistakes that uh, Law and Justice did. They basically went all in into state media, state-owned media, and then when they lost the election, they're left with nothing because now state media has has turned around. Um, so I think uh, had they done, would, would they have another go? I think they they, they should um, do this completely differently and and build up a number of their own. Um, media outlets and not go through, say, media, because then when you lose, then you're left with nothing. Just on the topic of shift, if we sort of think back to, you know, the early 90s, uh, there was a kind of a total reshuffling of, of news bureaus around Europe. On one side, there was a contraction, uh, but we saw, let's say, you know, what would have been sort of, you know, the Rome Bureau or the Paris Bureau moved to Berlin uh, for all of the obvious reasons. And I'm wondering, are you feeling internationally maybe also a little bit of a shift east well on an international perspective that Warsaw, Warsaw maybe has an opportunity to be much more of also an international hub? Now, of course, at the start of the conflict, I mean, we had lots of people on rooftops here, uh, as we have with uh, with foreign, foreign correspondents. Tom, I'm very happy that we're uh, this morning in a very nice hotel lobby, uh, not on a rooftop doing this. <laughs> but is, is that also an opportunity uh, for this city as well to become more of a, a global media hub, not just talking about domestic brands? I think there were, there were two opportunities here. One was missed. It was the beginning of the war and, and the fact that, I mean, everybody was coming here. There was a lot of excitement, a lot of interest. This was obviously Warsaw, but it was also the southeastern city of Zeshov, which became sort of a hub of all the military operations. A lot of the diplomats went there. A lot of people from Ukraine relocated to Zeshov when, when the conflict, when the war started. Um, so th that was a moment, but I think at the end of the day it was missed because Poland became, in a way, a, a flyover, and the, the then government didn't really know how to capitalize on this and, and didn't use that sort of soft power moment uh, to build on that because they were really in internal politics and also uh, fighting their own wars within the European Union, etc. Now there's this other moment, and I think that we also might be missing out on this because I think there's a big story to be told here about how, um, well, populism was defeated, how the uh, a quasi authoritarian regime in the making was was uh, stopped and i mean this has been on the news and you've probably read this or heard this on a number of podcasts or or in a number of newspapers but i think the the story is still there to be told and and i don't know if there's anybody who's really thinking about this uh, but I think people should be thinking about this because uh, I think it's a, it's a good story, it's an interesting story, and it's an important story because I think there's lessons to be learned for other places in the world. They're not gonna, we're not going to transpose them one-to-one, -one, uh, but I think there's a number of people who should 
tried to figure out what happened in 2015 when law and justice came to power, what happened over the next eight years, and how uh, law and justice was defeated. Very, very quickly, Andre, I would be remiss not to ask you about some of your benchmarks. Um, in terms of great media brands, is it a podcast or a specific magazine? Where do you look? Different markets. Is the US sometimes <laughs> tricky to look to at the moment? A couple of quick favourites for us. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be very boring, I'm sorry, but I, I, I still read the Financial Times and I listen to the Rackman Review and uh, I read the New York Times and I read Le Monde. So, I mean, and usually mainly newsletters. And then I'm very sort of deeply in, in, in the Polish news scene. So, so I, I read newspapers. I'm one of the last people on the streets who goes around carrying a newspaper. But uh, apart you're, in, from you're that, in good company, Andrew. The big, <laughs> the, it, it's, it's basically the, the big international outlets. Uh, Andre Wiesensky, we're going to have to uh, leave it there. Very, very uh, good having you uh, on the program. Uh, you're listening uh, to Monocle Radio. It's uh, just coming up uh, to 8.52 uh, here uh, in Warsaw. Tom Edwards, uh, just, uh, yeah, you've got a day ahead of you uh, as, as well. Uh, once we're off air at about eight minutes' time, uh, what, what are the delights of the city that are waiting for you? Oh, I like you don't to, know yet. I like to strike out on foot, uh, Tyler. We're talking about, you know, the greening of the city, uh, urban projects. There's so much work happening. Um, I'll strike out on foot and see uh, what the city reveals to me. It's looking much brighter. It was a little grey yesterday, steely skies above. Um, so it's going to be, it, it's lit attractively for maybe taking a few taking a few snaps as I walk around. I was going to say as well, we were talking about maybe not doing radio from, uh, or, or, you know, or, or any type of media from, from rooftops. Uh, but I have to also say at the same time, I was thinking this morning as we were getting ready that uh, there's a real delight uh, that when you're broadcasting out of a hotel, uh, that you're just, you know, uh, up in your room and you can just sort of, you know, pad down, uh, you know, 15 minutes before you go on air. And I was thinking, this is the future. We need to be finding sort of lobbies like this uh, all over the world. Uh, you know, of course, uh, Borough here in Warsaw, a great place to start. Well, absolutely. And uh, should we chat to a man who knows a thing or two? Well, not just about a great hotel designed with real intentionality and thoughtfulness to its, its layout, its furnishings, its art. Um, but also who's sensed the opportunity, which was here in this city and in Poland. Uh, Runa from Puro Hotels uh, joins us. Um, tell me a little bit about that. What, what was it that made this shine to you as the place to express your entrepreneurial zeal? Um, thank you for having me first, um, and great to host you in Warsaw and Puro Warszawa. Uh, to be honest, it was a little bit of a coincidence. I uh, traveled... Uh, uh, for the first time to Poland in, uh, I think it was in the spring of 2007. Uh, bought my first Monocle magazine on my trip, I think. Jolly good. It was in March 2007. Did you buy it here? Uh, I bought it at the airport, I think. Okay. Uh, anyway, um, so when I came to Poland for the first time, the intention was maybe to do some real, real estate investments here. Uh, thinking that uh, Poland has been, after joining EU, through a very interesting uh, growth, uh, and we also had a very positive outlook for Poland going forward. And then um, arriving here, I saw that uh, there could be some great opportunities within the hospitality market. Uh, many of the big brands were already present in Poland, but uh, I would say with a quite traditional uh, hospitality product. So my intention was to see if we could create something that was maybe a little bit more um, interesting for, for the traveler when they, when they came to Poland. So that's kind of where it started. So, yeah, we bought the first site in Wrocław in 2008, opened in 11, and then we have been, let's say, moving ahead from there. Uh, 
And, and we should probably say uh, maybe uh, maybe up on the coast uh, of this country, Rune might be a name you might find, but Rune Askevold, Norwegian. Uh, we should we should also say as well. So, case okay, so coming from the the other end of of, of the Baltic uh, to, to make your way here. What did you see in terms of just beyond, let's say, the raw opportunity? Mm. And you said, of course, there were existing players. And also still, you were starting at a time when, when so many of, of the big groups were also launching new lifestyle concepts, etc. So it was already a crowded market. There was a lot of things going on. But mm. So let's say beyond yeah, being sort of you know, very mercantile about it, what else did you see that you could offer? And, and maybe just for our <coughs> listeners, um, you know, what, what is the offer? What, do, what are you trying to deliver here? Um, okay, to, to start with the f- first question, I, I think uh, you're right. There was a lot of things happening in Poland at the time. So this was, let's say, just after the financial crisis, uh, but maybe more in the office and residential market. So maybe not too much happening in the, in the hospitality market. So we saw that we could take a position there exactly in the segment that you're mentioning, in the more kind of lifestyle uh, segment of the market. So, so, so that was the opportunity that we saw. So I think that there we were kind of first coming into Poland, and I hope that we have also been an um, important player in transforming the Polish hospitality market, because the offering we have is that uh, we are independent, so we don't have a strict uh, brand manual, so we try to tailor-make our hotels to each destination, each location where we are. Uh, we are a design and experience-led uh, hotel. So what we do is that we put a lot of emph- emphasis on the design for sure, and then we also have our own art curator. I, I heard you had a very interesting guest here earlier today talking a little bit about the art scene in Poland, and we, we are also very close to that, also cooperating closely with the Warsaw Gallery Weekend that was mentioned. Uh, so we do the art uh, curating of the hotels. Then we love to work with uh, some of the best Polish and local artists and designers, mm. uh, creating different items for the hotel and also creating uh, items that we are selling in our gift shop. So when you're staying in the hotel, you can hopefully experience some of the best uh, brands from Poland. And then also we put a lot of effort into the um, programming of the hotel. So we have, let's say, activities and events happening every week. So this is quite an important uh, part for us. And also we try to be changing a little bit the perception of the hospitality F&B scene. Because in Poland, I think it was quite common that hotel, restaurants and bar were not so interesting. Mm. Uh, we try to change that and think about the restaurant part uh, more as a, as a restaurant, not as a hotel restaurant. Uh, and this, uh, I think we have been quite successful with. And you could hear how much people are enjoying the hotel in the background. People are breaking into laughter. Yeah, lot- it's, joy- it's a joyous experience. Um, we're very short of time, Runa. Very quickly, uh, yeah, on the horizon in 20 seconds or less, so what, what's coming up? Um, then if I talk about Puro, we have a great, and, and Warsaw, we have a great new hotel opening this year uh, at Canaletta Street, 192 rooms. It's designed by a great designer, design studio from Copenhagen, Gamfatesi. And then just uh, a year after, we are opening also another hotel in Warsaw uh, with Jems Architects, Architects that also did this hotel, and with uh, Norm Architects from Copenhagen as interior designers. I think it will be an awesome product for Warsaw. Very good. Runa Askevold, founder of Pura Hotels, our host uh, as well. Uh, thank you very, very much for that. Thank That's you. all for today's special edition of The Globalist Live from Warsaw. Thanks to our producers, Carlotta Rebello, Tom Webb, Vincent McAvinney, and uh, Monica Lillis, and our studio managers uh, here, certainly in Warsaw, David Stevens, also Steph Chungu back in London. Uh, after the headlines, more music on the way. Uh, the briefing live from London. Tyler, The Daily. The Daily live. is from here today. What's going to happen, Tom? Tell us quick. Well, people have to tune in uh, at uh, 1900 CET to find out. I think you're saying it's going to be by the seat of its pants. 
Well, in the in the best possible way, Tyler. You'll, you'll be there, won't you? Indeed, absolutely. That's at 1900 CET. Have a very good day. Thanks, of course, uh, to our live audience here this morning uh, as well. I'm Tyler Brulé. Uh, and I'm Tom Edwards. That is the globalist this Thursday. Thanks for tuning in. Goodbye. Goodbye.